So Money episode 195, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Saturday. Uh, It's Ask Farnoosh time, and I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. So last week, I mentioned I just started my tennis lessons, and we got off to a bad start um, because Saturday, it actually rained when I got to the, just as I arrived to the tennis court, it poured heavily. And so I got caught in the rain, and we had to reschedule, ran home. And then the next day, fortunately, the instructor was available. So we went the next day and, uh, you know, she's asking us how, what our skill level is. And I was very, like, I did not pretend that I was any better than I was. And I said, I'm frankly, I was the pity player on the high school tennis team. And, and I think I, I proved myself right at that (laughs) practice session last Sunday. I hit the instructor at least once with a tennis ball, um, Definitely several balls went over the fence. And my brother, actually, who hasn't played for as many years as I haven't, was pretty good. So Todd did really well. But he's athletic, so he gets the gene. I didn't. Um, but I'm looking forward to, I think we have like, I don't know, 14 more sessions left or 11 more sessions left and sprinkle in some extra court time with my bro. I think by, I don't know, October, hopefully, I should be good. Of course, that's when the weather's bad and you can't play. But I'm just excited to be doing something that I have a very big passion for and that I hope will be something that I can do when I retire because I need some hobbies. I work a lot, guys, in case you haven't noticed. I don't really have time for leisure activities. I I work out sometimes, but I'm really excited to um, pursue tennis once and for all. Anyway, that's just a little bit about me. But now, of course, we have to talk about you all. You all have been very patient asking me questions throughout the week, waiting, waiting with such anticipation for Saturday and Sunday. I just know it for me to respond to your questions. And before we get to all the great questions that we've got lined up for today, I want to turn to iTunes and see who has left reviews. We are really getting close to 300 reviews, guys. Thank you so much. Um... I have a review here from several people during the week. We have, let's see, we have Maggie, Renee, Hugsome, California Coast Account. Who do I pick? Oh, my God, this is hard, you know. I just try to, like, throw a dart and just see what catches my eye and not and try not to read because I don't want to be biased. So I'm just going to go with uh, California Coast Account who ca- says, this podcast really helps. He says, growing up money was always... Uh, credit when I was in college, uh, and that credit finally tipped to bankruptcy. I started to realize credit cards are not money. Although I'm constantly working to get myself in the spot I want to be, Farnoosh surprises me every episode with new material I can apply to my own lifestyle. Not only that, she keeps me motivated. Thank you for putting this material out there. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my absolute honor and privilege to be able to do this podcast. 
And thank you for your review, California Coast account. Uh, send me an email, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Mention that I read your review on the air and we will connect. I'll, uh, I'll follow up and I'll send you a, a booking calendar so that we can have our free 15-minute money session. Okie doke, guys. Let's get to the questions. As I said, we have over a dozen, and I don't think I'm going to get to all of them today, but there's always tomorrow. We're going to start with Rachel, and she says, Hi, Farnoosh. I recently got hooked on your show. I just got married, and my husband and I are in our 20s. Well, congratulations to you both, Rachel. She says, We're lucky enough to be in a position to save about half of our income. Wow. She says, we have savings funds for travel and for a house that we're going to use next year. Where should we put our short-term savings? Well, first of all, I have to say, saving 50% of your income is outstanding. I've just finished interviewing a number of millionaires next door, which I'm going to be on airing those interviews soon. As I promised, I've been trying to put together a themed week of millionaires next door. You guys are going to just love these episodes and these individuals and, and couples that I found, but what I have found to be common with many of these profiles is that they're not saving 10%, they're not saving 20%, they're saving 30, 40, 50, 70% of their incomes in some cases, and it's not uh, a lavish lifestyle while they're doing this, obviously, but the good news is, is that when 35 comes around, 40 years old, 45, they're retired, They can throw in the work towel and start traveling, start maybe a passion project. So uh, the fact that you're saving half of your income is a really good indicator that you're on your way to being millionaires soon if you keep at it. Where should you put short-term savings? Well, this is money because you want to pull it out in the short term. You're saying next year you want to use this money for a house and travel. Keep it in a savings account, a liquid account at your local bank or credit union or an online account. This is not money that you want tied up in the markets. You don't want to be putting this in an IRA or a bond necessarily, maybe a one-year CD perhaps. I mean, maybe the interest rate is a little bit higher than a checking account or a savings account. But I think you want to be first and foremost sure that this money is accessible to you. As as someone who has gone through several home purchases, you know, that closing uh, schedule that when you have to close on a house, it can really sneak up on you a little bit. Everything moves very quickly when you're ready to go and close on a house. And I'll say, okay, closes in two days. So then you have to go to the bank and get the money. And if you have this money tied up in a CD or even in an online account, sometimes, you know, it takes days to transfer. Just make sure it's really accessible so you don't have to delay anything in the event that you need this money quickly and it's there for you. So don't worry about interest rate. Don't worry about how it's getting invested. It's just just most important for you guys is that this money is accessible and you can withdraw it for free. And congratulations, buying a home and going on travel and saving half of your income sounds like a a fun journey ahead. So good luck with everything. Abby says, hey, Farnoosh, she says, I'm resending this question per your request because I'm not sure if it was received. She says, first off, love the show. Thank you for your wisdom. Before my newlywed husband and I married, his ex-wife started an ESA, an education savings account for their 11-year-old child and asked him to contribute. 
I'm 100% on board for saving for college, but I'm not convinced that this is the best avenue. I haven't brought this up to my husband yet, but I'd rather us open a separate ESA for their for the child and potentially our future children. What are your thoughts? Well, it sounds like there's some trust issues here. You're not trusting the ex-wife. Perhaps you're concerned that because your husband's not a co-owner of this account that she could take his contributions and reroute it somehow. I'm not, I sense that's what's happening here because it, it sounds like that's really what's holding you back from wanting to do this. And so I would say, why not have your husband suggest being a co-owner of this account with his ex-wife as far as, you know, opening it up together and designating their son as the beneficiary? Can you do that? I think you can. And this way, what he contributes, you can be confident that she, the ex-wife, can't suddenly decide, I, you know, I'm going to take this money and run. I, I mean, I, I don't know um, if that's what your concern is. It sounds like it is. So I apologize if I'm misreading or I'm reading between the lines and there there is nothing to be read. But if you're if you're concerned about trust and her ability to be faithful in this in the savings. Uh, plan, then um, then the best thing to do is to be co-owners of this account. Then every decision that's made has to be jointly decided. And you could say to her easily, you know, you save and I save. You have an account, I have an account. And totally game with saving for college, but I would feel more comfortable just because now that we're divorced, having a separation of uh, finances. And uh, have a conversation with your husband about it. Hopefully you can have a constructive conversation and it won't turn into an argument. Um, but I would definitely have this conversation if you're not, uh, con- if you are concerned. And if you do plan on having other kids, um, this is definitely a conversation to have now as far as how to manage this, how to organize this and save appropriately so that all the kids get a fair amount of money for college. Elizabeth writes in and says, hi, Farnoosh, I work in, I guess PM means project management, engineering, and I'm in the midst of applying for jobs as my boyfriend and I are looking to move to a new city. I have a salary in mind that I want to make, but came across a job the other day that is half of that number, but looks really interesting and is in a field that I would like to move into. So I applied for it in the job ad. It said that they, uh, that the employees are hired at a base salary of X plus incentives plus benefits. In the event that I get an interview for the job, how should I approach the salary issue since it is set in the posting? Any advice? Uh, Well, you know, Elizabeth, salary discussions with an employer, a prospective employer, are, are, are meant to be a conversation, a back and forth. Nothing is ever set in stone. And... I mean, trust me, even if they say there's no wiggle room, there's no moving upwards from the stated salary in the ad, ask them, well, are you willing to make an exception? This particular question, can you make an exception or have you ever made an exception, is actually a very, very studied sentence. Um, there is a professor at Warden who's written a book and I've interviewed him and he's basically written a book about negotiating and getting what you want. And when I interviewed him, I said, well, what happens if somebody tells you this is the bottom line, no can do, no budging? You want to say, well, have you ever made an exception or could you make an exception? 
it, what it does is it forces these, the, the person on the other end of the deal to think differently, to reshape the mindset and think, uh, okay, have we or could we? And to think a little more outside the box than just this is what we have to do. So I would say take the interview, go in, don't be so concerned that they have in print in a newspaper or wherever said that this is what it is. All salary discussions should be a back and forth. Employers a lot of times expect prospective employees to negotiate and they don't. So the employer automatically wins. Um, so I just say go in there, be confident, talk up your your worth, do a little market research, find out what this particular position, if it if it's anywhere else in the marketplace at a different company, where what they might be paying, uh, go to payscale.com, go to salary.com, talk to people who uh, you may know that are affiliated or have some similar kinds of jobs, do some research and go in there armed with that research and start a conversation. If they start to be, they start to brush you off, if they start to get dismissive, and I hope they don't, but I have heard that in some cases, you know, I, I get questions and, and emails about this on the show sometimes, you know, I brought up salary negotiations and they just got really, um, they got really defensive. And I would just say that, that that's actually a good sign to see now. This is a good litmus test because if they become suddenly really angry or defensive, let that be a sign of the culture of the workforce there. And that's probably not a culture you want to be a part of. If they're open to it and they're, you know, they 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 go further to explain and they have the conversation respectfully with you, even though they may not give you more money, but it's respectful. Well, that's, an, that's a good sign. And that may mean that in the future you could revisit this. So my bottom line advice to you is don't be so caught up on the fact that they wrote something in writing in the paper. Um, that was probably just uh, something that they did to perhaps either weed people out or uh, manage expectations a little bit. So you know that you know if they're offering you fifty thousand relatively, there's no way it's a, this is a six figure job. But maybe it's a sixty five thousand dollar a year job potentially. Or it could be you could ask for eight thousand dollars more. You know along those lines. So use that as a benchmark. Chris says, Farnish, sorry you've already answered this. Do you have a search feature for past Q&As? I couldn't find one. Young professional here, and I've worked for a few different companies now, and I've contributed to a 401k at each one. Should I simply let them be, or should I put them all in the same place? Positive negatives with each option. With the latter, if I do that, should I transfer or roll over, and what's the difference? Thank you, you rock. Ah, thanks, Chris. Well, I don't think you've asked this question before and or anyone's really asked this. I do have a search feature on somoneypodcast.com. You can search by keyword, by guest name. You can't necessarily search within the Ask Farnoosh's particular things. But if you if you search retirement, I, I tag everything. So if you search 401k retirement, you should hopefully get enough uh, results where you might be led to past Q&As or... Um, ask for new episodes where that topic is discussed. For your case, your 401k, it you know, it really just depends on the quality of the 401k at your new job. Do you like the options? And if you do, then you could roll over your old 401k into the new 401k. 
or you may decide you want to roll it over into a an IRA outside of work at a bank because you have access to several more options when it comes to investing. You know, within a 401k, you have options, but they're relatively limited. In an individual retirement account, it's much more broad. Furthermore, there are, it may be cheaper to have money in an IRA because uh, you may not have to pay fees for the uh, management of the IRA, the IRA as an entity. Sometimes you have to pay a fee for the management of your 401k as an entity. And so some considerations to make there. A transfer is the same thing as a rollover, essentially, but you want to make sure that you are doing it directly. Whatever you do, make sure it's going directly from your previous 401k directly into either the new IRA or the new 401k. You do not want that money to go anywhere outside the realm of an account because as soon as it does, it's considered an early withdrawal. You have to pay taxes on that. You might have to pay an early withdrawal penalty, which can effectively wipe out 40% or more of your earnings. So just be cautious that if you decide to move the money somewhere else, that is a direct transfer or a direct rollover. Good question. Michael writes in, hey, Farnoosh, uh, my question concerns robo-advisors and automated investment services. What are they exactly? How do they work? Who are they best suited for? Should I use them on a more traditional investment vehicle? Should I use them or a more traditional investment vehicle? If I go with one service, how much should I be investing monthly into them? Well, that's a lot of questions around robo-advisors. I don't have a lot of time to dive into this. And frankly, I don't know all that much about robo-advisors, although I know who the big players are. In fact, I just had the folks over at Betterment reach out to me to see if I'd like to have uh, someone from the company on the show. And actually, maybe I will do that because I do get a number of questions from listeners like you who are interested to learn more. So I would say there are a lot of great articles out there. You know, I uh, was a contributing editor at Money Magazine and at Money, they just published about a month ago online, an article called Robo-Advisors, The Next Big Thing in Investing. And what they say is that technology is allowing people to make smart decisions about what to do with their money for a very low fee and that Robo-Advisors is the latest big shakeup in the investment world. And it's kind of like set it and forget it for your portfolio where a computer program automatically adjusts your investments and even tries to minimize your tax bill. The article goes on to talk about how they work, the fact that this is booming, how millennials, young adults, are really big fans of this, and some skepticism in the article. You know, are they a little too simple, too simplistic? So the jury is out whether robo-advisors are, in fact, a better solution for financial planning, particularly for, say, a millennial who doesn't have very complex financial decisions to make. But now that you've asked this question and I have gotten a few questions like this recently, I'm thinking maybe it's a good time to book someone from this marketplace to get those questions answered. And of course, they're going to be uh, a little subjective, so I'll try to play devil's advocate on the on the interview. But thank you for your question. And I'm sorry I couldn't answer all your questions with this with this topic, but um, but you've got me inspired to dedicate an episode to this. So thanks a lot, Michael. Angela says, I'm seeking operating monies for my business for the first year. I'm sending a 17-year-old to college next year myself. 
Well, Angela, so it sounds like you need money for your business. And having spoken to many entrepreneurs on So Money, we have heard people talk about how they bootstrapped their startup with a 0% APR credit card where they maxed it out the first year and paid it off uh, within the first year. So they were able to basically get uh, a free loan, uh, essentially. Uh, But, you know, the important thing there is you got to pay back that credit card before the 0% APR expires. People go to peer-to-peer lending sites to get money for startups. People might go to Kickstarter, which is another site where you can fundraise money for your business. You could uh, sell things to shore up cash to start the business. You could take out a private loan from a credit union or a bank uh, to start your business. And so really there are several ways to uh, find the operating money for the capital for a startup. Also look into your city Uh, Go to your local library, go to your local municipality to find out if they have grants for local businesses. Go to the Small Business Administration, sba.gov, and search uh, for your local chapter and see if there are resources available for small business owners. It may not be money, but it might be resources like help, tax help, um, branding advice, marketing advice. So there are perhaps free resources out there for you that isn't exactly dollars and cents, but can go a very long way in helping you start your business. As for sending your 17-year-old to college next year, I would say have a conversation with your child about how he or she can also help contribute to their education. Can they work? Can they apply for scholarships? It's not too late. And make sure that they are filling out the free application for federal student aid. That's the FAFSA. The earlier he or she fills it out, the more likely they will qualify for some good federal aid. All right, good luck. And we're going to wrap here with JP, who says, Farnoosh, great podcast. I don't always agree with you or your guests, but I always find myself learning something from each guest. After listening to your podcast with others and reading blogs, I understand the benefits and freedom that comes with owning your own business, but I'm not a passionate person about anything, and I don't know where to start. I feel like I'm good at a lot of things, but not great enough to start blogging or podcasting on a specific topic. I have a few ideas rolling around in my head, but they seem to be just that, ideas. Any idea of where to start? JP, this actually reminds me of a graphic that I once saw and I put it on Instagram. It was so it was so right on and spot on and it said, what kind of success are you? And it was three circles and in the middle where that those three circles overlapped was sort of the sweet spot, was the quote unquote total success spot. And really you want to combine what you love to do, what people will pay you to do, and what you know how to do. Those three things, if you can combine what you love to do, what you know how to do, and what people will pay you to do, then that is total success. You got to have all those three elements. If you're just doing what you love to do, and you're just doing what people will pay you to do, then you're just living a dream. If you're just doing what you love to do, and what you know how to do, then you're happy but poor. If you are doing what you know how to do and what people will pay you to do, then you're rich, but you're bored. So the key is to do what you love to do, what people will pay you to do, and what you know how to do. Does that make sense? I'm going to post this on somoneypodcast.com. 
this graphic so that you can actually see what I'm saying. It's a little hard to visualize as I say this, but it will click when you see it. And I look at this from time to time because I think that might help you narrow down what it is that your niche should be, that what it is that you should actually pursue. Um, So good luck and let me know how things go. And that's a wrap, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was our Saturday edition of Ask Farnoosh. Tomorrow, several more questions to answer. And I look forward to having you join me back here tomorrow. Thanks so much. Have a so money Saturday, folks. Bye.